love Lucy. And I'm Diana, and I, you know, like Lucy. And this is My Favorite Redhead, the podcast where I show Diana every I Love Lucy episode in order, and then we discuss them together until she and all of you love Lucy too. Hey guys, we just wanted to pop in for a second and do the old podcaster thing about asking you guys that if you've enjoyed the show to pop onto Apple Podcasts real quick and leave us a review and a comment. Yeah, we just want to see the show grow and that's the best way to have people find the show aside from spreading word of mouth, of course. And we are looking forward to having the show grow and doing cool, fun things for you guys as the listeners. Yeah. So thank you. This is episode 25, Pioneer Women. It begins with Lucy washing dishes in the kitchen, and the Mertzes come in. Fred goes into the other room, and Ethel stays with her in the kitchen. And Ethel's waxing about joining the Society Matrons League, which... Did we already discuss how... Like, did the name change? It was a different women's club before? This is a different club. Okay. Anyway, the Society Matrons League. Ethel wonders if the men will want to kiss their hands, and Lucy says they'll get dishpan lip. I'm trying to get better about not saying the favorite lines, <laughs> but this is actually important mm-hmm. to the plot. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. So, Lucy does the math on how many dishes she's done, she's washed, since she and Ricky got married, and it came out to 219,000 dishes. So, she wants to demand that the boys buy them dishwashers. So she and Ethel get up the gumption and they go in the other room and she tries to talk Ricky into, you know, this wonderful new invention that keeps women's hands from getting red and chapped. And he said, of course, yeah, we can buy that. And he says to Fred, they want rubber gloves. <laughs> and Lucy's like, oh, and they can't afford a washing machine. So they just kind of, you know, fine, we can't afford it. It's expensive. And as the, as the women are walking away, Ricky says the women these days are spoiled. Because their grandmothers didn't have all these modern appliances. And um, we didn't appreciate that. No. No, we don't appreciate that. So Lucy is like, oh, you guys can't get along without electronics, or well, electrical appliances either. I feel like Ricky especially is one to talk about being spoiled. I mean. He, he literally grew up with being spoon-fed in the lap of luxury. Yes. So... Lucy proposes a challenge that they all go without conveniences, and Ethel is the one who sets the date at 1900. And they can't use anything that was invented after 1900, and they put a $50 bet on it. So the next morning, Lucy is polishing oil lamps, which I thought is adorable because she's, um, you know, she's, she's preparing for the actual thing. And she's also got a giant bathtub in the kitchen for Ricky for when he comes home from work. Ricky comes in looking for breakfast, and he's got nicks all over his face because <laughs> apparently he's not used to a straight razor, and apparently Fred is coping by not shaving at all, which is, I think that's a very 2020 feel. Yeah. <laughs> so, hard same, Fred. So they're laughing at Ricky's nicks all over his face, and he's like, yeah, whatever, where's my breakfast? So Lucy attempts to light a fire in the stove, and he freaks out because, of course, an electric stove is not meant to have a fire in it, so he concedes that she's allowed to use the stove and the oven, but nothing else. So Fred comes to get Ethel because they're out of butter, and the boys agree that the girls have to churn butter and bake their own bread. They're not allowed to go down to the store, which I think is absurd because there were, of course, stores at bakeries mm. back then. 
but you know, just anything to make the challenge harder. Yeah. So the next scene is Lucy wrestling dough. And I feel like I have to mention at this point that my mother, who is an avid home baker, was visibly in pain at the state <laughs> of this poor dough. It, it does look a bit tough and over needed. And she was just sobbing openly and it was terrible. <laughs> in Lucy's defense, it's her first attempt. Yes. So Ethel comes over and she's got her hands cramped around the dash, dasher staff. What are we going to call that? I think, I mean, I've heard the term dasher before. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the pole that powers the plunger in a butter churn. And I just pantomimed what that looks like. <laughs> and you guys can't see it because this isn't YouTube, but I did the butter churn motion. <laughs> so she's been at it for two hours and she has nothing to show for it. And Lucy reminds her, of course, that it takes cream, not milk. So, you know, they're, they're doing some trial and error on the fly here. Lucy has misread her recipe and put 13 cakes of yeast instead of three. So there's a lot of, they're both working out their little kinks here. So while Lucy's dough is rising, she goes to help Ethel churn butter. And I think mom pointed out this was the first time there are words on the screen to show mm-hmm. the passage of time. So that's I'm interesting. Sure that's right. Yeah. So they come back from churning, the bread is risen, and Lucy freaks out because it's huge. And this happens a couple of times. She punches down the dough and kneads it and then sets it to rice. And then it's huge. It has risen (laughs) and it's enormous. And there's this whole wrestling thing of them trying to get it onto a tray and shaped like a loaf and then get it into the oven. Well, a telegram arrives for the Society Matrons League and the girls get excited about um, being accepted. So they get... They want to get all dolled up, but they realize that they can't get all dressed up in modern garb because that would violate the mm. bet. So they have to get dressed up in 1900s garb. beauty parlor. Yeah, they have to do it all really old-fashioned. So they, they've decided that they're going to get these old-fashioned dresses, but then Lucy starts to smell the, the bread. So she goes back into the kitchen and sees that the oven door is a little bit open. And then when she goes to check on it, the bread shoots out. It shoots out, pinning Lucy to the sink, and Ethel has to cut it with this giant saw. So the next... She's just, like, immobilized by fear and yes. shock. It reminded me of, um, you know the lamppost um, in Mary Poppins that comes yeah. out of her bag? Like, that oven's the TARDIS in there. The next scene is Lucy is outside Ethel's apartment. They're both dressed up in 1900s dresses, and it's very cute with those huge leg of mutton sleeves. And, like, the giant bow. And they do both look like they're wearing bustles. Mm. I don't think they are, but they look like they are. It's cute. So Lucy says she's keeping an eye out for Ricky, because if he comes home by modern conveyance, then he's lost the bet. But I have to tell you, this smug asshole comes in (laughs) on a horse, and I was so mad, I almost threw a shoe at the TV. And he looked so pleased with himself. (laughs) It It was terrible. So... After that, Ricky's having a bath in the bathtub in the kitchen, and he's just loving it. He's loving everything about being in 1900. And Lucy brings his clothes out, and he's horrified by the pattern on them and the cut of them. And she said, no, we got to do everything like it's 1900. And he's like, well, but I am a, you know, I'm a public personality. You stay in the house all day. Which <laughs> is just important. salt in the mood, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's salt in the wound, honestly, because, of course, she wants to be a public personality. So she pours boiling water on him, which I think is fair. (laughs) So the Mertzes show up, and also Fred, I also want to punch him in the throat, because (laughs) 
He's dressed in his stupid getup, and he's the chicken inspector, and he's very excited because he's just living vaudeville, this man. And he does that stupid little whistle, and he does his stupid little head waggle with his stupid little bowler hat. And he's just so happy. It's just infuriating. I hate seeing people happy on television. Mm. You know, I don't lean into a lot of the Scorpio stereotypes, but this is one of them. <laughs> Okay, so he breaks into, while strolling in the park one day, you know, very vaudeville, vaudeville, his whole thing. And then Ricky joins in and comes in from the other room, (laughs) and they link arms, and they just, and, oh, so bad. (laughs) They're just, it's adorable and insufferable, and I hate it. I actually have a note in here, I hate their little hats. So Ricky's decided that he actually loves this whole thing, because of course he does. And he wants to do a theme night at the club. And Lucy's like, okay, but you gotta dress like this all the time, not just at the show. And he's like, of course, it's advertising. And, God. Anyway, so then the society ladies show up because they want to spring an investigation to make sure that their prospective members aren't, like, putting on a front mm-hmm. when they apply to be members of the society. So they want to see how they actually live. So they have these surprise inspections. So the girls freak out because the women are like, do you dress like this all the time? And they can't be like, well, we're in this petty competition with our husbands. <laughs> because that doesn't sound very society matronly no. to be like, look, we got in this stupid argument. And now we're betting for money <laughs> to see who can be stupid longer. So Ricky comes up with this idea that he should say that they caught them in the middle of a rehearsal. Well... That doesn't go so well, because while the Society Matrons League don't specifically look down on performing people, on show people, they kind of imply that they look down on show people. Mm-hmm. So Lucy gets her back up and is like, well, then we're looking down on you, and kicks them out. And so everybody cheers, because Lucy stood up for them, and Ricky declares the bet is off, he's gonna give her 50 bucks, and he's like, let's all go out for dinner, and she's like, not so fast, we have a fucked out of bread here. <laughs> And then they all dive in. Like seagulls. So, full disclosure, I have seen this episode before. I think this was included in your birthday yeah, viewing the, like, a couple Lucy years ago. Yeah, color DVD. Yeah. I particularly remembered the, the bread incident. Yeah. <laughs> and we had to film this one specifically on February 1st in the middle of a holiday because it was my first day off keto in a long time. So <laughs> we couldn't wait for our usual recording day we had to we couldn't possibly have an episode about bread while i'm (laughs) off carbs i thought that it would be nicer for her to not be in pain slash like punch me (laughs) also mother had made some very lovely oatmeal bread so i was just munching on bread while i was watching lucy's buffoonery Alright, so this episode aired March 31st, 1952, and was filmed February 22nd, 1952. It was written by Jess Oppenheimer, Madeline Pugh, and Bob Carroll Jr., and directed by Mark Daniels. So, fun fact, William Frawley has said that this was his favorite episode of the series. Of course it was. (laughs) Um, Throughout the production, he was kind of like the expert on the dates for certain things and whether or not (laughs) something was appropriate. So I think he kind of liked that people were going to him for That's really funny because Lucy had asked him, was such and such Mm -hmm. available then? He's like, don't ask me, ask Ethel. Yeah. And it turns out they were actually asking him. Yeah. But yeah, he was... He was born in 
1888 or 87, oh, one of those. Oh, so he would have been like 12. Yeah, he, he would have remembered 1900. He was fully there at the time. Oh, So it bless, wasn't a shady fun. question. He was there. We were talking, um, because we had to rewatch this episode again before we recorded, and it occurred to both of me and Brianna at different times that they are actually closer at the time of filming to 1900 than we are to them mm-hmm. at the time of recording. Because when she gets, when she's polishing the lamps, she mentioned that she got them from a junk store. And I was thinking, does that mean antique store? And then I was thinking, well, no, because it's only 50 years. Like, stuff from the 70s would be in, like, a consignment store for us. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, sometimes they sneak really modern stuff into antique stores. (laughs) Yeah, true. True. You can get just about anything in an antique store, but you... You're not really going to get a lot of things from the 50s. Yeah. In a consignment store for the most part. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a whole different perspective. Yeah, they keep referring to 1900 as being, like, old-fashioned instead of, like, (laughs) antique. Yeah. So. That's fun. Yeah. So, you know, we love to adjust for inflation around here. We sure do. Um, So, the $50 bet adjusted for inflation would be $526, give or take, today. So, you can sort of see why Fred was like, oh, that sounds like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, that would buy my pressure canner. Yeah. <laughs> buy a lot of things. And the twenty three seventy five that our girl Ethel spent on butter is worth almost $250 in today's money. Gosh. So, that is very expensive. You can buy a box of that stuff at Target for like two, three bucks. But the cream is more expensive than the butter. True. Mm-hmm. So that hasn't changed. Yeah. It's like that meme that goes around every once in a while, like, why would I buy this thing for 15 bucks mm-hmm. when I can make it myself for 90 Yeah. <laughs> so I guess part of her investment was also either buying or renting the churn. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Well, not fun for her, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so the script actually originally called for Ricky to ride the horse into the front door of the frickin' apartment. <sighs> That actually wouldn't surprise me Yeah, <laughs> like, considering how petty we know Ricky Ricardo to be, I could see that. But the horse actually got spooked Aww. on the set, so they decided to change it to the back door so that it would be easier and there'd be less, you know, time on set and all that, so Aww. that's that's fair. Too many people laughing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it was the noise. Horses, God bless them, they do spook easily. They do. So the famous huge loaf of bread was a real eight-foot loaf of rye bread that was baked by the Union Mode Bakery in L.A. Oh. Lucy was really big on things being and looking, like, realistic, and she felt like the audience wouldn't find it funny if they thought the bread was fake or it looked Mm. fake, if it just didn't feel realistic. Which is funny to me, because I feel like this is one of the more implausible episodes. Well... I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's no, like, physical way that that yeah. could actually happen, but the bread has to look real <laughs> or else it's going to be even sillier. Yeah. But Desi also realized that it would be cheaper to have a real loaf specially baked than to make a realistic-looking prop loaf, mm. so they were kind of both of one mind, like, yeah, let's just get the real thing. Yeah. So they enlisted, yeah, they enlisted a commercial bakery to make it for them. And all the cast and the crew and the studio audience also got to take slices of the huge loaf home with them. Oh, man. That's lucky. Yeah. (laughs) And they wanted to use rye bread because it would keep longer, Mm. which I guess is a 
quite the concern under the studio lights. Yeah. So that makes sense. So the last names of the two women from the Society Matrons League committee were references to CBS photographer Jean Pettibone and Philip Morris's press agent Charles Pomerantz, which mm. I'm pretty sure that is one of the men that we see in Being the Ricardos. Mm. Don't quote me, but I think so. In in the rooms with all the executives? Mm-hmm. Either that's him or it's someone that's playing a similar role. Because yeah. we know that some of the characters were more like fictionalized versions yeah. of certain people. Like was that the, the guy who asked, how much pregnant are you? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very silly question. <laughs> I remember while watching the movie, I wrote down in my notes that men should never talk about pregnancy. Which, <laughs> of course, is reductive and... If but, you're the sort of, if you're you know, the sort of person, regardless you know of gender, I mean. <laughs> and you're the per- sort of person who phrases it, how much pregnant are you? That's aimed at you specifically. Yeah, if you don't know about like <laughs> the anatomy and the biological process involved, maybe don't comment at all. <laughs> Do a little research first. Certainly don't work for CBS. Yeah. So the two actresses who played those characters were also really interesting and I am looking forward to talking about them. So Florence Bates played Mrs. Pettibone, who's the older of the two ladies, and she's the one with like the little glasses. Oh. She was born in 1888 and her birth name was Florence Robbie and she got a degree in mathematics and became a school teacher. But then she got married and she retired from teaching. So she ended up getting divorced, and then to support herself and her daughter, she decided, well, I'm just going to go to law school, if you do. And then in 1914, when she was just 26 years old, she became one of the first female lawyers in Texas. Oh, okay. Which is really cool. And then after both of her parents died, she went to, like, help her sister run the family business, which was actually running an antique store. (laughs) So that was cool. And she also started working in radio around that time. And then she ended up getting remarried. And after her sister passed away, they sold the antique store. They closed it down. And they decided to move to Los Angeles, she and her husband. He actually was really wealthy and he was involved in finance. But he lost everything in the Mm. 1929 stock market crash. So they moved to L.A., and then they opened a bakery, as you do. So she did so many things in her life that were relevant to this episode. But So she opens, she and her husband open this bakery, and around the same time, she's like, well, I'm in L.A., so mm-hmm. I'm just going to start acting. So, what a wild time. Yeah. So she auditions for this play at the Pasadena Playhouse, which was a stage version of Emma by oh. my gal, Jane Austen. And she auditioned for the role of Miss Bates. Hmm. And she got the part, and it was like a huge deal. And then to commemorate her success, starting with this role, she actually took on Bates as her stage name. So she was Florence Robbie, and then she became Florence Bates. So she ended up starting to get into movies in 1937. She had an uncredited role in the film The Man in Blue. And she's probably best remembered today for her role in Alfred Hitchcock's film Rebecca Hmm. with Joan Fontaine and Laurence Olivier. It was like where she really kind of 
came to wider recognition. And Ruth Parrott played Mrs. Pomerantz, and she was the younger of the two ladies who was wearing, like, the fashionable little suit. She was born in 1899, and she got involved in a lot of, like, school theater, and eventually she told her family that she was going to New York to visit her brother, who's a student at West Point, but she was actually just going to start acting, and she went over there and she got into theater. And she went on to do a lot of radio and theater, and she's actually best known for playing the maid, Katie, on a little radio show called My Favorite Husband. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So she was with Lucille Ball in, like, every episode, and... The character that's kind of like the original version of Ethel, Iris Atterbury, she was part of the inspiration for Ethel, but the other part of the inspiration was Katie. So a lot of times the storylines that Ethel gets, they're things that were from Katie. She actually, Ruth Parrott was also on the short list of actresses being considered for the part of Ethel. She also will go on to guest star on I Love Lucy a couple more times, including being in the episode where little Ricky is born. Aww. And that, she's very funny in that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's also had uh, small roles and stuff on a bunch of other TV shows, including Dragnet, The Real McCoys, The Patty Duke Show, and That Girl. Hmm. So that's about it for production notes. And I, this episode is so fun. I thought Lucy and Ethel looked adorable in their period clothing, yes. and they they put up with a lot with those dudes trying to Ugh. outsmart them, and it was so much. I just want to flick them <laughs> on my nose. <laughs> they were both insufferable, and it was it was very funny. So I enjoyed this episode very much. This is like, you know, this is a classic kind of like just below Vitamina Vegemin and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. in the Pantheon of Lucy. So I'm glad that we finally got here. This was like the first major Lucy episode that everybody knows. So it was really fun. It was pretty funny. Yeah. And also I loved seeing the horse, even if Ricky was being a butt. <laughs> I enjoy... A horse's ass? Yes. I enjoy seeing horses anytime. so... I also have, just kind of as an aside, I had this very interesting article that I found the other week, and it's about this episode, and it's called The Time I Love Lucy Confronted Anti-Semitism on TV, and it was published on The Forward, I think back in December, and it's written by Victoria Myers, and her point with this article was basically that growing up as a little child she saw this episode and it was one of her favorites and she realized that the whole show people thing could be interpreted as a metaphor for anti-semitism that we don't want jewish people in our club because who but jewish people do people call you know show people in show Hmm. business And, um, you know, there's that stereotype, like, Jews run Hollywood, which I am not saying. That is the stereotype saying that. And You just hear it a lot. It doesn't mean we agree to it. It's a whole thing. So I have this little excerpt here I want to read to you guys, but I will go ahead and link the article in the show notes. I think it's really interesting, and it's a quick read. But 
That's interesting because I know, like, in in history in general, a lot of like actresses were considered like one step more legitimate than sex workers. Mm-hmm. And there's also that kind of like, you know, you know, showmen there tend to be dishonest and they're mm-hmm. thieves and they're whatever. So that's how I interpreted it. So it's interesting that there's that other perspective. Mm-hmm. That it could yeah. also be the anti-Semitism. Cause, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't... That's not a trigger word for me, so... It's not something that I ever picked up on, and that's why I found the article so interesting. Yeah. And I have this little excerpt I wanted to read. During the period when I Love Lucy was being produced, there were a number of Jews working in Hollywood. But no matter how well they had done, there were neighborhoods they couldn't buy houses in, clubs they couldn't join, and people who wouldn't have them over. Because of this discrimination, most overt Jewishness did not make it onto the screen. A notable exception was the Goldbergs, a radio and later TV program, but was instead coded into seemingly non-Jewish material. Jewish viewers could often pick out the Jewish references in Gestalt and also pick out who involved was Jewish, while non-Jews remained oblivious. Though Hollywood was in many ways created by Jews, there were lots of reminders that the ideal audience they were creating for were non-Jews those non-show people, real Americans out there in the Midwest. Something I only came to appreciate later was exactly how clever the structure of Pioneer Women was in its combining of the Society Matrons League and the Pioneer Days storyline. Lucy Ricardo got up to a lot of Michigas. There was no shortage of things the writers could have had her do that would have made her a Society Matrons League reject, but out of all of them, They chose to have a setup that not only led to Ricky saying they were in show business, but that also had the cast dressed as a piece of Americana. Hmm, that is interesting. And also, as the author of this piece pointed out, Jess Oppenheimer was Jewish, and he never really spoke a lot about any anti-Semitism he might have faced, but he certainly would have. So... It's definitely worth discussing if that might have been something that informed his writing. Yeah. There are definitely times in the series when there are things that's like, oh, that's that's a bit of Judaica there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Lucy in one episode says Lachaim, <laughs> and her maiden name, obviously, is McGillicuddy, but the original name that he had written into the script that they want to give her was Teitelbaum. And the network was like, oh, no, 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 no. Not on this good Gentile network. No, (laughs) ma'am. So they went back to the drawing board on that. Yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting. And it's definitely something worth thinking about and discussing. And also, this author and I had identical childhoods because she (laughs) talks about watching I Love Lucy with her American Girl doll Kirsten and recreating the scenes and it was very adorable because I used to watch I Love Lucy with my American Girl doll Addie and recreate scenes. My sister had Kirsten so we had a Kirsten in the house. Yeah (laughs) I have a Kirsten now but I didn't when I was a child I just had Addie so (laughs) Victoria Myers if you're listening we we were kindred spirits. (laughs) But yeah, so I would definitely link that piece in the show notes because I thought it was very interesting. All right, pop culture? Always. Okay, so Vesti la Giova from the opera Pagliacci, mm-hmm. the song that Ricky was singing when he was in the bathtub, <laughs> um, was written by Ruggiero Leon Cavallo in 1892. And 
Apparently he got accused of plagiarizing this opera. (laughs) (laughs) But he claimed it was actually based on an event that happened in his real life, which is wild. Um, But basically the opera is about a romantic betrayal, which leads to a murder, because you know opera. Yes. (laughs) And the guy that gets cheated on is a sad clown. Because opera. Yeah. And Vestila Gioba roughly translates to put on the costume because this song, the clown character, sings as he has to perform even though he's heartbroken about his wife cheating on him and he's got to go be a clown and it's a whole thing. And also, you know, the song Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson, Mm -hmm. he makes a reference to Pagliacci in that song so when I was researching this, I got that song stuck in my head. <laughs> While strolling through the park one day, or the fountain in the park, was written in 1884 by Ed Haley of the Haley Brothers Vaudeville Troupe, although some scholars think it was written by Robert A. Kaiser, and apparently the song was dedicated to Kaiser, but like, every one of these old songs that I look into, it's always like, it was probably written by this person, mm-hmm. or maybe this other person, or also this third guy claims that he did it, but... You know, it's a whole thing. There's also a time when it was, I believe it was either illegal or frowned on to like claim ownership of a song, which is why Green Leaves is attributed to King Henry, because he's the king, so yeah. anything written while he's king is his. Yeah, that's definitely not the time period no. of this. <laughs> because back then, it was like commonplace to claim ownership of songs that you didn't write. Yeah. And um, I think it was, I can't remember which song it was that I was looking into, but I found out at that time that apparently it was very common for whoever printed the sheet music mm-hmm. to be like, yes, I wrote this song, yeah. even if they had literally just bought it yep. two minutes ago. But that's a whole thing. It's, this is the Wild West back then. Yeah. But, so this song has been performed by a bunch of artists, including Bing Crosby, and it's Featured in a bunch of shows and movies, including Strike Up the Band, starring Judy Garland, and also an episode of Muppets Tonight, mm-hmm. where it was performed by my homeboy, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and also, he was performing with Heather Locklear in that episode, so it's it's very cute. And I've been on a Muppet kick recently, so that's not the only time that they will come up today. So, the Waldorf, which is where Lucy and Ethel were supposed to have their meeting to be scrutinized for the club, Mm -hmm. or the Waldorf Astoria, New York, Mm -hmm. was built in 1931, and it was the tallest hotel in the world until 1963. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was originally built in two stages. It was the Waldorf Hotel and the Astoria Hotel, And then it was demolished in 1929 for the construction of the Empire State Building. And it was relocated to the current location on Park Avenue. And then they were like, oh, the Waldorf Astoria. And it's developed this reputation over the years of being this, like, super fancy, nice luxury hotel. And it's always just, like, jam-packed with rich and famous people to the point that it was nicknamed a kind of vertical Beverly Hills <laughs> in the 1940s. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so I really like that little funny name. But It's actually been closed for renovation since 2017. It's set to reopen in 2023. I think it was originally supposed to reopen this year in 2022, but because of COVID, that threw everything off. But yeah. They actually can't remodel it, like, too much because it's protected as a landmark. Yeah. 
The Waldorf will be mentioned several more times over the course of the series. And the Muppet Waldorf from Statler and Waldorf is named after the Waldorf Hotel. I soul Muppets. Yeah. (laughs) And as you mentioned, so is the Waldorf Salad. Yes, a staple of Thanksgiving dinners. Yeah. So, Gorgeous George was a professional wrestler born in 1915, and he was... Originally a villain character, but he was, like, really entertaining, so he became, like, hugely popular. Oh, the villains are always Yeah, <laughs> and hugely famous. Like, he was a massive deal when they started showing wrestling on TV. He was, like, the thing. He was the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so he would, like, come out in his little sequined robe, and he would have his valet spray the ring with quote-unquote disinfectant, which was actually just Chanel number five. <laughs> And I love a grandma perfume, and that is my absolute favorite one, so I relate hardcore. You know, there's a lot of alcohol in perfume, so it is disinfecting. It is, it is, and it's also just very fancy, and I love that for him. And so he would also have the referee spray his hands with that same disinfectant Mm -hmm. before they could inspect him. And if they tried to touch him before they did that, he would say, get your filthy hands off of me. Which I think is hilarious. And it's also, a lot of people think that is how that phrase entered into the, like, popular lexicon because of him. Well, we'll have to thank him because (laughs) we do that. (laughs) It's a good phrase. And it's been very relevant these last few years. And so he also apparently married his first wife in the ring. Because, like, why Why just have a regular wedding when you can have, like, a spectacle of a wedding? And he's just always performing. But... He retired at the age of 47, nice. and he bought a turkey ranch. Another Thanksgiving well. reference. Yeah. <laughs> and, Speaking of pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> and also, when I was reading up on him, I thought that that sequin robe thing sounded like James Brown. Like, it reminded me a lot of the Eddie Murphy SNL sketch, where he was being James Brown playing Annie, which is, like, the funniest <laughs> fucking thing you'll ever see. Apparently, James Brown and Muhammad Ali both cite him as an influence and an inspiration on their public persona, their stage persona, and I think that is pretty cool. That is. That's that's quite an achievement. Yeah. Because those are some big egos. Yes. <laughs> and... I think they both just saw those sequins and just yeah. heart eyes. You know what? That's fair. It is. Same. Imagine inspiring Ali. Yeah. Imagine being that extra. Yeah. Because he does, he he likes to do his own, well, he liked to do his own thing and be his own inspiration. Well, true, but I mean, like, nobody's created in a vacuum. No. So he would have, like, he's the age that he would have saw Gorgeous George on TV. Yeah. And so then he goes on to be a big fucking deal. Yeah. And, the you know, you kind of model yourself after those childhood heroes a little bit. So. Do you remember in high school the choir teacher... His name was Mr. Borges. Yes. And he was so beloved that they called him Gorgeous Borges. Yes. Do you remember that? I always wanted to be in his class because everybody loved him so much, but I was like, nah. Yeah. I don't want want to try out for choir. I already get enough shit for being in band. See, I was like, see, you were in band for like a year. I know. It was I was in band for four years voluntarily, and we were on the bottom floor of that building and the choir was on the top floor of that building. So we we had, like, a very loving rivalry. Yeah. We didn't dislike each other, but it was always like, 
I'm trying to practice down here. I wish they weren't also trying to practice up there right now. But I'm sure they hated the drum line. Because oh, we so all hated the drum line. <laughs> Our high school was weird. Like, we didn't have clicks like you have in, like, the teen high school movies. Mm-hmm. Like, the band kids and the jocks hung out and, like, the academic kids and the theater kids, like... Yeah, and, like, usually the kids that were in, like, the AP classes were the athletes and the cheerleaders yeah. and stuff. One of, uh, a couple of our drum majors were cheerleaders. Yeah. So, like, it was really weird. We all mixed. <laughs> so, I am the chicken inspector. The I knew that was a reference to something. term that Fred used, his little line there. It's a term, basically, for, like, a ladies' man. And it reminded me a lot of, like, in the 80s and 90s, and probably even in the 2000s, when guys would wear, like, an FBI, female body inspector, Uh, t-shirt at the beach. You know, this is the same idea. Chicks. And it is very gross and funny. But the funny thing is, that slang term was used in the 20s, Mm. which, that makes sense given Fred's age. He would have been, like, in his 30s or so at the time. A little older, maybe, depending. I don't know if Fred Mertz is the same age as William Frawley, but he would have been... A man in the 20s. But if we were going strictly, like, no anything Mm -hmm. after 1900, he He technically lost the bet. Also, speaking of technically losing the bet, (laughs) Canasta, the game that Lucy and Ethel play, was invented in 1939. Girls. In Uruguay. It was popularized in the 40s, and it's based on Rummy. But Mm. them playing that game that was from basically the 40s, they also lost the bet. So, there was a lot of that going around. But it's okay. It's okay, because everything worked out in the end. <laughs> also, neither of them were wearing corsets. No. But that's that's not actually inaccurate, because corsets were not actually as universal as yeah. historical dramas would have you believe. And I think it that's kind of the time when people were, were like... phasing them out. Yeah, phasing yeah. them out. So some people would have worn them, and some people wouldn't have. And I can imagine Lucy being the kind of lady who's just like gonna do it. I think Ethel might have been, you know, if this were in 1900, she might have been just that little bit older that she's like, well, you know, I'm used to it. Yeah. But, or, you know, she would have been married earlier and Fred had expectations or whatever. Yeah. So that is about it for our pop culture today. Did you have any favorite lines? Boy, did I. (laughs) So, there's a classic joke when they've decided to demand the dishwasher and they go into the other room and Lucy says we're revolting and Ricky says no more than usual yeah. <laughs> which was rude but then he almost immediately when Lucy's like oh you guys can't live without modern appliances either and he said we're men we're rugged and I about spit my teeth out he because is the furthest from rugged yes of all of them yeah he's just he's just a fancy little boy he is so the next morning when he comes in, he's got nicks all over his face and Lucy's offering him breakfast and she says, coffee, toast, a transfusion. <laughs> yeah, I have that one too. And I have all that butter and it only cost me $23. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I like when whichever the society matron ladies mm-hmm. is like, you put on shows? And Ricky said, yes. And she said, why? <laughs> I and have that one too. <laughs> it's just the way she says, Why? <laughs> I love that every time she has to say anything withering to him, she has to hold her little glasses up to her face. Yeah. It's super fucking funny. 
I also had Fred being like, what was the matter with $10? Oh, I was going to say that and I forgot to highlight it. <laughs> and I also... That was the best. I also had highlighted the rest of that exchange mm-hmm. between Lucy and Mrs. Pet Or, Ricky and Mrs. Pettibone. And she's like, I mean, do you do this for a living? And he's like, no, we just developed a bad habit. We like to eat. That's another one of those lines that yep. went into being quoted often in my house. Yeah. So, it's a very funny one. And it's come up again a lot during... Yeah quarantine when yeah. people ran out of money because they couldn't work. Yeah. And the government was like, well, here's 25 cents. Don't spend it all in one place. Get back to work, you lazy fuck. Yeah. So that's fun. So, yeah, that was about it. This episode is just so fun, and it's a classic for a reason, and I enjoyed it very much. Did you have any other observations? I have thoughts? to say, when, when I was talking about being one of the more impractical ones, because a lot of the humor... And the shenanigans revolve around situations Mm -hmm. rather than this sort of, like, the gag of, you know, that loaf of bread would not fit in the other. Yeah. So that's that's one of those things that's very, very silly. But almost, like, I don't want to say out of place, but most of of the humor comes from how did she get herself into this. Yes, that was one thing that I I thought was kind of interesting, but still very funny. Um, but the other thing I really like is that usually when they're in these outlandish bets that they have, like, Ricky and Fred go out of their way to be unhelpful mm-hmm. toward the girls. And, you know, Ricky has already referred to one of their social groups as, as the, um, what is it, the Fang and Claw Club? The Wednesday Afternoon Fang yeah. and Claw Society. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but the fact that Lucy's like... I don't think like, he has any actual malice toward the group. I think he just enjoys teasing her and dicking with her. Yes, but usually when he wants to win a bet, yeah, it's like at all costs. And this is one of those times where when the women are there and Lucy's like, oh, Ricky, think of something. And he's like, oh, I got it. It's a rehearsal. And it's like an yeah. actual helpful suggestion instead of being like, oh, well, I'll help you out if you call off the bet. So yeah. I thought it was cute that he yeah, didn't Yeah, it was very that. sweet that yeah. he was on her side yeah. in that. And I, I really appreciated that. But yeah, this is just this is a very fun episode, and it always makes me want to eat a big piece of bread. Oh, I and, always do. Yeah. So, it's a good one, and I, I'm glad that we got to it. Yeah. To enjoy that together. Alright, so next week, we will discuss the marriage license. Oh, dear. <laughs> in which the Ricardos relive their wedding day. Oh, gosh. I can only imagine. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a fun one. Right, so please join us next time, and until then, uh, stay silly. (laughs) (laughs) Is that our new (laughs) sign-off? Apparently, it just came to me. All right. (laughs) Bye. Stay silly, (laughs) y'all. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher to make sure you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at MyFavoriteRedhead, on Tumblr and Facebook at MyFavoriteRedheadPodcast. Tweet us at MyFaveRedhead or drop us a line at MyFavoriteRedheadPodcast at gmail.com. And if you love Lucy and you enjoy our show, give us a good rating and review.